On this podcast, we're breaking the silence. Welcome to Mental Health. It's time to talk. Here's your host, Alan Kaler. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in on today's show. Oh, we have a man on a mission. We have a man who literally is walking the talk. Please welcome Paul LaBerge. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Living the dream, they say. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Paul, I want to start around 2014 when I know you were going through your own challenges with mental health. And then shortly after you had that gut feeling, that intuition, if you will, that perhaps something is not so well with your father. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it, it started, I started waking up. I was living in Regina at the time. Uh, I was a land agent. Um, you know, life was good, you know, going, working the job I went to school for and uh, started to wake up. I noticed I was, in, you know, in tears and very emotional and wasn't sure what the hell was going on, to be honest with you. And uh, but I also had that gut feeling that something back at home wasn't right, just by the body language and how, and also how my, my dad was acting. But I didn't really read into it too much right away. I kind of, you know, thought I was overthinking and being more, you know, more protective, like I usually am with family and my friends, and went back to Regina. And I think it was about, about a yeah, week right after May long weekend, I just happened to show up, went to Lloyd and surprised uh, my dad. And my dad was an early riser, would be up at 6 a.m. And sure enough, I walk into the house and my dad's come downstairs and it's three in the afternoon. You can tell he just got out of bed. And that's when it kind of, you know, something hit home there and I knew something wasn't right. So me and him, that's when me and him kind of had a, a little bit of a talk, but not too open, but just kind of asked him what's been going on. And he just said, you know, I'm just feeling down. Um, you know, work's not going so well. And that was kind of it. So, yeah, we hung out for the whole afternoon and just kind of, you know, did guy stuff. And we went golfing. And, and then later on, I went back home. And probably about two weeks later, um, usually when – about every second day, me and my brother would have a chat in the morning. That was kind of our morning routine. We just kind of, you know, called each other. And we did, or we still do the same work at the time, both land agents. So we had the time, you know, in between meetings to, you know, call each other and kind of, you know, pick on each other, kind of like how brothers do. And um, so anyways, uh, I was running late and uh, I haven't even showered yet. And so I'm about to jump in the shower. My brother calls and I kind of hit mute and, you know, kind of like, I'm, I'm going to calmly have a shower. And, and right when he called, he let it ring four times, voicemail, and he called again. And that's when I knew something was up. So I answered the phone. My brother's voice was like, he couldn't even talk. It was just, like, he was, you can tell, trying to fight himself so hard not to cry. And I said, Ty, well, what's going on? And it was like the longest pause. And it honestly probably was like 30 seconds, but it felt like five minutes. And I said, Ty, and he said, it's dad, you've got to come home. Hmm. And I just paused and I said, what's going on? And he couldn't even talk. He was just basically, he started crying. 
So after that moment, I, I never hung up the phone and I literally just landed on my knees because I, you know, I, I thought I lost my dad at one point. And I just thought to myself, well, well if it was that bad, they probably would have told me. So I, I just remember I ran to my room. I literally grabbed my laundry hamper and I'm throwing everything in. Like it looked like I was, I, I wasn't sure how long I was going to go back to Lloyd for, right? And so I pretty much packed half my room and I called my boss who was really good about everything. He told me, you know, there's somewhere else I have to be. And he was really good about it. I uh, put my files in my mailbox and I took off to Lloyd. Um, not proud of this, but I probably got about two or three radar tickets <laughs> and uh, made a, you know, a record of time back to Lloyd. And the second I got into the room, I remember it was my dad's sister in the room with my mom and my mom had these black you know, eyes and look at she hasn't slept and what she did. And I looked to my right and there was about six or seven empty bottle of pills. And I remember looking at dad and he had a red line right around his neck. And I'm looking around and I'm like, what? Because I, I, I don't know what, what happened, right? But looking at those two, it kind of added up, but I still didn't want to believe it. And so I, I forget what happened. I think the nurse said something about, um, you know, him taking his life. So when she left, I looked at my mom, I was like, is that what happened? And my mom kind of looked at me like that, like six heads. And she's like, yeah, you didn't know. And I'm like, well, no, on the phone call that I had, I, I didn't know what happened. So obviously, you know, that was, yeah, that, that was tough. And uh, so about hours later, um, it was just me and my auntie in the room. And I remember my dad started calling my name. But during that time, he was in detox. So he was kind of dreaming and sleep talking. And so I wasn't really sure. Because my, I got my name from my uncle. So I thought maybe he was calling my uncle because he was saying a lot of names that people aren't, you know, even around anymore. Hmm. And so I didn't know if he was actually calling me or he's having, you know, some kind of dream. And my aunt said, no, I think he's, you know, talking to you. And so I went over there and sure enough, he squeezed my hand so hard. And I brought him to my knees. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm here. I'm here. And uh, he just, his heart was, you know, racing. And he couldn't even say, I'm sorry, but he was trying so hard. He was just shaking. And, and it was just the tough, the most heartbreaking thing I ever um, went through in my life. You know, the, the, the toughest man in my eyes, his ball in his eyes out. And saying sorry when let me talk. Just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And uh, so finally he leaned over to my auntie and started talking to her. And my auntie just, you know, her eyes got big and she's like, that, is that what happened? And I'm sitting there or standing there going, what happened? And my auntie said, your dad was sexually abused. I'm like, mm -hmm. what? And he's and he like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, Dad, how come we never said anything? And he didn't, he went quiet. And he started whispering to my auntie. And my auntie was like, well, Paul's here. You should know. So my, what happened, my dad was sexually abused by the priest at Sunday school. And, and just how it played out, my auntie was like, is that why you never want to go to the Sunday school? And my dad would be hanging onto the bed frame, crying, you know, mm. don't go back. And... Yeah, so growing for him, like he held that in for so long. 
And it was just kind of heartbreaking because it's just, you know, this guy basically was just like bobbled up for all those years and never even opened up and, and slowly started, but it just wasn't enough. Right. So I don't know. I would say a couple of years or well, a month after that, I moved home and, uh, you know, the media was just going off the chart. My dad was getting um, charged for fraud. And then I just couldn't handle it anymore. Going around Lloydminster, you know, my my hometown. And I think it was more like my mind playing tricks with me. I'm not really sure. But it just felt like everyone was kind of like whispering and talking about me and my family. And I just couldn't handle it anymore. And it was over the social media, the news, the radio station about what my dad is doing. And I just remember... The next day I woke up and uh, I had a shower and I remember I wiped the towel off like the mirror. And the second I looked at myself, I started crying because I was just disappointed. Well, in me, because I felt that I was kind of part of, you know, I felt guilty, I guess. And I couldn't handle going around uptown and dealing with all this, you know, with people staring at me and, you know, I didn't know how to handle it. And so what I ended up doing, I went to the liquor store. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning, maybe 11, Alan. Went and grabbed fireball whiskey. I remember to this day exactly what it was. Jumped in the vehicle. And my plan was I'm going to, you know, try to make it look like this was an accident. I wanted to take my life, but I didn't want it to come off. That's what it was. So I tried so many times, tried to flip my truck. And uh, I failed at it and I remember coming into a not a crashing halt but kind of came down to uh, the other side of the road and I remember slamming on the brakes and punching the steering wheel so many times because all I can hear in my head is you're pathetic you can't even do this right Hmm. and I kid you not the second I remember when I did this and I remember holding my hand there and I just remember my heart just pounding and it just made me realize, you know, like, there's obviously a reason why this didn't work, right? So maybe have faith and let's keep going to see what happens with this, you know, like, I have no idea what's going to happen later on. And I kid you not, the second I turned on the highway, the highway became so busy. Like, mm. it was insane. Like, the, the event I tried doing, there was no one on the highway. But the second I turned... Right when the four tires touched the highway, that highway just became busy. And it just made you think, you know, you could have hurt someone else who was innocent, right? So a lot of things all started going through my in my head. And so I decided, you know what, I'm just going to fight the good fight and keep going with this. And that's when I decided I'm going to go see a therapist, I'm going to see a psychologist. And I kid you not, I probably fought with them and, you know, got in arguments with them, you know, that's, you know, arguing with them, that's not who I am. And um, they want to accept that I had these issues and um, more upset that I was talking to someone who was holding a clipboard and not really having a conversation with me. It made me feel like I was a, a crazy person, but I guess you're looking back, I kind of was crazy yelling at <laughs> a therapist and psychologist, but that's how I felt. And finally I found a psychologist that I could connect with. And you know, that and that man is Dean Beatty. And I love that guy. I haven't seen him for a while, but that's how much he helped me. 
um, you know, the one day I was having a hard day and I called them and I said, you know, I think I need to have an appointment with you. And we literally had a five minute talk just like last week. And he's like, how do you feel now? And I'm like, I feel so much better. And he's just like, don't worry about coming in. Let's, you know, regroup here. And uh, so, yeah, that's just kind of man he is. But going back to my story, um, it was about probably about three years after the date uh, from the first attempt of dad trying to take his life, uh, things started to happen all over again. You know, like, like to back up a little bit, dad went to jail and, you know, going and seeing dad in jail was the toughest thing I've, I ever probably, well, not the toughest, but one of the toughest things I ever went through in my life. It took me probably about six or seven months to actually go see him. I just couldn't even like think in my head that this is actually happening. I didn't want to accept it. I didn't want to think this is real. The guy that I looked up to my whole life is in jail. And I just remember the first day I met him, he was so happy to see me. And it was just kind of like, I kind of forgot about where he was. And so, yeah, we ended up having conversations. He started writing me letters and I kept, I still have them. I still kept them all. Um, And then he got out and I never, it was just a struggle. He wasn't sure what he was going to do for work. And I just never tell him, why don't you get the safety? You'd be the perfect guy for it. If you think, like, I, I don't think I know he would be. Like, you'd be really good at it. And he's like, okay. And knowing my dad, I'm not too much different from my dad. You're, either you're in or you're not. And he was all in. And he got into courses. And he had about one week left of courses. And just to speed it up a little bit, he got an interview with this company. And when he got to orientation, they red flagged him. It was the company that um, put my dad to jail for fraud. So I remember we were so happy that dad got this job and I went over to mom and dad we were cooking lunch and we we're saying how great this is. And know, dad got this job and this is August. And, uh, and anyways, uh, I remember dad walking in to the house and he just looked like depressed. And I looked at mom and I kind of, you know, how I am, I'm kind of like a, I don't know, something's awkward trying to make a, something funny out of it and it wasn't really the right time to do it um but i just said you look like you just lost your dog what's wrong and you know and i just kept going and then he's like i got fired and then all of a sudden the room just went quiet and i said what do you mean you got fired said, yeah i got fired and then it was just like you know years it's like three or four years it's just like bad and when things were supposed to get good and then went bad and it was just like this is getting good and that went down and I was like what you know what's next what what else is going to happen here and I remember with the chuck wagon was going on um this week and or that week and I was I, I wasn't really up for going to the dance it was on a Saturday so I went over and I visited with my dad and you know just chat and uh, basically he forced me out of the house he didn't want me there anymore he said, go to the dance, you're just here because of me. And, and I said, no, I want to hang out. I want to talk to you. And he wouldn't allow it. And uh, so I went to the dance, had a great time. And I just remember I went to the ball dance the next day and everyone's playing ball and we're having fun. And um, I keep getting this text from mom, you know, have you heard from dad? No. Like, wow, maybe he went back to Edmonton and finished his week off. 
you know, this course is okay. And it was about 8.30, she texted me again. I said, no, I, I, you know, mom, I'm sorry. I haven't heard from dad. And I tried texting him. I haven't. And usually dad is within the hour, you know, he'll get back to you or call you at least just to make sure you're not worried or, you know, but it was nothing. And I ended up staying over at a friend's house that night. And at midnight, I was outside. I was kind of doing cutting laps outside, but I was just like, kind of had a bad feeling what was going on. But same thing, didn't really want to believe it. But the second I was coming back to the house, I saw the reflection of myself in the glass. And I said out loud to myself, I'm not sure why, Alan, but I said to myself out loud, you just lost your dad. And Mm -hmm. I just just knew. Uh, I didn't. I I laid in bed, but I couldn't sleep. And I was up at 5.30 and, um, you know, just told my friend I had to leave and, it was, yeah, getting close to six, and I, I left, and the only thing that was going through my head where I didn't want to go, and that was where he first tried to take his life. I didn't want to end up going back there. So I wanted to still believe my dad was still alive. So I went to my dad or my parents' house, went to the backyard, um, and I also went to the storage unit because he was actually looking. He was a, a site manager there. So I went there, nothing, and so I knew where I was going and especially when I went home I saw both his cell phones um, on the island so it made sense of why we couldn't get a hold of them so yeah and that was the day I I found my dad Um, it was August uh, 20th and I I, I honestly can't explain to you in words uh, you know finding your dad uh it's it's still heart you know heartbreaking and it's still um, hard to explain to people and um, you know people a lot of people have said to me after the funeral you know they were upset with my dad and saying you know suicide so selfish and I don't think those people realize like how much those words hurt me and, and that's what made me um, kept in about my story I didn't want anyone to know that I tried taking my life. And to a certain degree, I agree with people that suicide is very un, um, it's very confusing to understand how to feel about it or how, I don't know, how to understand it. But once you truly do understand it and try to explain it to someone, the first thing that comes back at me, I, how I feel, is that it's still selfish. And uh, so after my dad's funeral, I just remember I'm walking out and feeling like absolutely, you know, like shit, you know, there's no other way. And I'm sorry for swearing, but there's no other way to really to say it. I just felt like shit and seeing my friends and my family going, you know, how, you know, miserable everyone looked, how much me and my family went through with everything in the last, you know, so long, it was like five years. Um, this idea came actually, uh, my 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 dad and my brother did this bike ride for MS, and that's how I learned about MS. And I thought, what a great way! Because the only way how I found about MS was this crazy bike ride they did, and it made me ask questions to my mom. And I just remember that feeling I had. I never tell my mom or my friend, sorry, I say I'm going to do a walk. I'm going to walk from Sass to Deloitte, 
And everyone, or at first, I was, that's a lie. At first, I said, we're going to be BC Deloitte. And everyone laughed. And I said, well, maybe one day, but maybe I should shorten it up. And, and everyone still laughed, even if I, when I said SAS in Deloitte. Um, but, you know, I think the one thing of what I wanted from the walk, it wasn't just to help others, it was also to help myself because I really struggled. I didn't know how to um, find that missing piece of what was wrong with me. I, like I, that sounds bad, but it was, it's the truth. I didn't really know what else there could have, you know, what I could have done. You know, I went out and I talked to people. I tried to focus on myself and I was, I just hold so much anger and I didn't know how to release it. And, um, I, well, I guess I found it, the abuse in my body, you know, 279 kilometers. Um, but very emotional time, though, too, like the last 24 hours. I was so nervous about the last day, but very excited. And crossing the finish line was something I will never forget. Um, you know, it, I just heard my dad's voice saying, I'm proud of you, son. And this is an emotional time, but just how I brought the community together. And that's basically what I wanted. And so then when COVID came, it kind of, put a halt to the second annual walk. So we did a virtual walk and, you know, and then I, I just thought, you know what, the year went by and people kind of forgot maybe about what this walk talks all about. And we're about doing crazy stuff. And, you know, when we say something, we follow up with it. And so we're going to do Rich on at the Lloyd Minster this year. And I'm very excited to do it. You know, that walk I've been, I started training probably about mid-March and uh, yeah, I just been going for walks when it started off for five kilometers, moved up to 10 and now I'm at about 20, 25 kilometers whenever I can go. And uh, yeah, we're raising money for Libby Young and you know, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to it. We have, they're such a great organization and they just don't get, you know, the recognition that they should. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I want to help them. Is I, I want their name to get out, and I just want to make a difference. And I know we have so much work ahead of us, uh, not just with this walk, but with the stigma. Not just one walk is going to you know, solve the problems. And uh, not trying to bash the media, but it was just funny when they like, interviewed me. They were like, what, we're going to do another walk? And like, they didn't raise enough awareness. I'm like, no, I don't think I have. Like, we're, still, we're still battling with it, you know? So... I know that one event is not going to solve everyone's problem, but it, it from looking back, it, it helped a lot of people. Um, you know, they reached out to me and then the podcast, after our first episode on our podcast, we had one individual said to us, um, you know, I, I went and opened up and now I'm going to recovery center and go get help. Um, so our goal with the podcast and the walk and everything, it was that, you know, save one person's life. And we did that. And so, yeah, everything, it, it's been going great. I'm still a roller coaster though, too. Um, you know, some days you wonder, you ask yourself, I'm not sure if you have felt like this, Alan, but for me, I know there's some days you ask yourself, why, why am I doing this? And then all of a sudden you get a text or a call or an email saying what a great job you're doing. And, it kind of just turns your mood around. <laughs> yeah. Take a drink of water, man. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to share your story. 
I have, uh, you know, you and I both know Mike Cameron. One of the things that I appreciate yeah. about Mike is he teaches us to practice the pause. And I feel as though for me, Paul, hearing a lot of your story, there's just so much to digest and process. And for the sake of time with this podcast, we can't all get into it. You know, for me, the thing that hurts, there's a lot of things that hurt my heart though. It's the piece to me after your father's first attempt, Paul, when for the very first time he shares with his sister that he was sexually abused. And what strikes a chord is how many people in general just suffer in silence, right? Like, like yeah. I know from our previous conversations and reading some of the stuff that was in the media, your father, Marcel, was always somebody who would be seen with a smile. All pictures yeah. have your father smiling. And correct me if I'm wrong, but just because someone's smiling does not mean that they are happy. No, it's that mask, right? Like what like uh, Michael Landsberg talks about, you talk about, a lot of people talk, even Tyson Williams, we talk about that mask. And that mask is so dangerous. Like I wore it for so long too. Like once I have... I'm not saying I 100% understand what anxiety, depression, and, you know, and I'm also, you know, um, was diagnosed with PTSD too. Not saying I 100% understand it all, but the more I understand uh, mental health, I, I think I probably uh, suffered with it longer than I honestly know. And it's not because I wasn't being honest with myself. I just didn't know what it was. I didn't know what the name was to it. And, there, people kind of came out and said it was mental health, but this the word mental. I think that's what scared a lot of people, and, I, and that's what I wish it was a a different um, name to it. Like you know, we can't really say brain injury, but that's more like concussion. But I almost wish we could use that term as a brain injury or a cold because meant, this the word mental. I think that's what makes people scared that they don't want to admit that they have it. And I don't. I just want people to understand that. It's nothing to be ashamed about. And I'm not, from my postings, I don't want people to feel when you open up, you have to post so much on Facebook. That's that's not what I'm trying. I'm just trying to be that voice that I wish I had and I suffered. Yeah, well, and I know, Paul, with this walk, it's <laughs> obviously about raising awareness around mental health and also suicide, but you're also an advocate around just paying attention to the language that we use when it comes to mental health. Bingo, yeah. And, you know, we were just talking before this. I, I, I'm a big believer if we change the language with mental health, we would probably end the stigma. But you can probably say that with a lot of things, right? We're all human. We say things we don't mean or we don't, you know, it just comes out. But same time, though, I have to say this, Alan. I am, I am proud that we're, there's so many more of just – not just me and you, you know, there's Clint, there's Michael, you know, like there's getting more of a bigger group and more people and, and even new mental or mental health advocates are coming out now and starting to open up. Um, does that mean that we're coming to an end? No, but we're a lot further than we were. And that's what makes me feel happy. But at the same time, it makes me frustrated though too, is because when you open up, it feels like people, 
think I'm trying to force them to open up and that's not what I'm trying to do. I, I just also want people to know is I'm not trying to force you to open up, but also if you take too much time, you know, when they say, you know, you should do it on your own time. I know when I do something on my own time, when I want to, I it usually never gets done. You know what I mean? So the only thing I'm trying to say is yes, take your time, but don't take too much time because that it might never happen. You might never open up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And I know, I think knowing where you were and knowing where you are and also ultimately where you want to go, Paul, what stands out for me is there's a, a piece in one of the stories done on you where it's, it's got a pull out quote. And I believe how it reads is you say, this is my story. This is who I am. And for me, when I read that, it was like, okay, that to me is an individual who has done the proverbial work, someone who's done wearing the mask and is now in a position where he's just passionate about giving back. And that is what this walk is all about. Exactly. Everything that I've been doing, it's not because I like or I want to be in the spotlight or anything like that. It's more just being an ear for someone or just trying to give that um, that drive to someone that, you know, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay if I open up. It does not make me a weak man. And that's that's what I want. I, mm -hmm. I don't want people to feel oh my God, I'm, you know, I'm weak and I'm dealing with this. I don't know how to deal with it. And I don't want to talk to you. Um, no, it's just, you have tunnel vision, right? Or your head's in the sand. You take the time to actually look around you. There's a lot of people that struggle with this and you'd be amazed. Um, it, it opened my eyes uh, just this past two weeks going to the short park, uh, Suncore refinery. When you really listen to someone like the word, like they never really came out and said, I struggle with mental health, but if you really take the time just to listen, they're not coming out and saying, I struggle with it, but they're also telling their problems. You know what I mean? Like if you actually really listen to their story, there's a lot of people that struggle. And it opened my eyes. And I, I never, I just once in a while just throw like, yeah, I'm doing this walk. And I never told them why. And then all of a sudden they came back to, oh, look, how come you're doing this walk? And Because, well, I struggled with mental health and I lost the death of suicide. And of course, you know, we get that five minute pause. And then when no one's around, you get the odd guy, me too, or I lost someone, right? So it, it, it's so like men who are in oil field construction, I notice the numbers are skyrocket now, even more with this COVID. Um, you know, we're losing people because of this virus. They're also because of COVID, people are losing their jobs and these numbers are rising. Um, I think that's why this walk is this one of those things that it has to be done. I don't want to shy away and say, you know, I'm not going to do it. I can't and I won't. I, I'm going to go walk and I don't care how much pain I put my body through. I'm just, it needs to be done. The awareness needs to be raised. Well, let's talk a little bit about this walk coming up because it's not too far away. So for anybody who wants to potentially get involved, I know that you don't have a set. Well, there's a few dates that are set, but should somebody want to walk alongside you or maybe pick your brain? Can you give us some of the details? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like we, we leave Regina on August 28th. Um, that part is not really set yet. 
but we are leaving Regina on the 28th. We're going to be starting probably around 6, 6.30 in the morning. And uh, you know what, what we would like to see, and we did see that in the first year, um, you know, just people pulling over. You can either, like, you know, with COVID, if you don't feel comfortable, come talking to us. Just you can still pull over and either wave or whatever. Um, so we do have a link. Um, it's on my web page. Or, yeah, on my web page and on my um, uh, Facebook page. Um, we're donating or we're uh, raising money and we're donating to Libby Young. And that's going to uh, try to hire more staff and uh, help them get more beds. And then I, I think around the 2nd or 3rd of September, that's when we're going to be rolling into Saskatoon. We're going to have about two days off, kind of regroup and, you know, massage and get ourselves cracked into place mm -hmm. if we need it. Um, and then September 5th, we're going to hop right back on Highway 16. Uh, we're going to meet Victor. So me and Mallory Smith from Libby Young going to be walking from Regina to Lloyd, and we're meeting Victor um, halfway. Uh, Victor is a business owner here in Lloyd. He runs Vicon Oilfield. So we're going to be meeting Victor halfway. And, um, it pretty much the same thing how it was the first year. If you feel like you want to pull over and walk with us, by all means. Um, not sure what the numbers are going to be like at the time of the COVID restrictions, but there's only going to be two of us walkers. So, you know, we, we, I think there's only two days. We had about 30 to 50 walkers in the last two days uh, all at once, which was very cool. Um, with COVID, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I still want people to come and, and talk to us, uh, open up. If they care to donate, great. If not, no hard feelings. Um, we have, you know, T-shirts for this event. It's on my webpage. Um, the biggest thing is we just want to raise awareness. Yeah, beautiful. Can you just provide the web page to ensure oh, that everyone can access yeah. it in case there's some new updates? Yeah, absolutely. So it's www.letswalktotalk.ca. Uh, and well, my Facebook page, Let's Walk to Talk. You'll see this logo. <laughs> yeah, well, and I know that proceeds from the t-shirt sales are going to go to that as well. I also Absolutely. find it interesting, the timing, because your plan is to arrive in Lloyd on September 10th. There is a significance to September 10th, isn't there? Yes. Uh, so we, I thank you for bringing that up. I forgot. Uh, so we, we plan on rolling in on Suicide Prevention Day, um, which, you know, I, I'm excited about because I think that's going to really bring speak volumes us rolling in um i know Lori with libby young is planning on getting a couple people um to ride on their horse um we might be bringing our dogs on the highway depending on how you know if we can get the first rescue squad out they can help us block one lane so we might my dog's been the biggest thing for me um it, it helped my mental health and for Lori, it helps her with her horse so uh, we want to get that involved with the walk. So I think it's going to be really cool to see, you know, us getting our dogs in the last day walking to Lloyd and also having a couple uh, riders and horses. So it's going to be pretty cool. Love it. That is awesome. Well, yes. I, I can't wait to see where you all take life. I mean, I feel as though this is only the beginning. I love how you think outside the box. I love your passion and how you've been able to, take something that has been absolutely horrific and now 
there is no shame for you. You put a face and voice to all these issues and you have my utmost respect, Paul. Thank you. I appreciate it. Especially from you, Alan. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, totally. I, I think uh, our brother, Rod Peterson, mentioned he's going to try to find you on the road. Yes? Yes. So, yeah, I, I jumped on his show in April. And it was funny because he thought I was on the highway. And I was like, well, no, I'm just trying to get the going. Like, I know it was early, but that's what everyone told me before. Like, he should have got on, you know, podcast, radio stations a couple months, you know, like four to five months before to get people going. I was like, geez, that's a long ways away, right? But <laughs> – and that's what everyone wanted. So I, I did that. And it's funny, Rob's like, shoot, you're not even on the highway yet? And I'm like, no, it's not till August. And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to join you. And I'm like, hey, come on, right? So, uh, yeah, you might be able to see Rod. Uh, that'll be probably on the weekend, I'm, I'm assuming. He said, uh, you know, give him a call. And I look forward to it. I only talk to the guy on Facebook and, you know, on podcasts. So I look forward to meeting him in person. So, hey. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. I know uh, Juanita is wishing you all the best on your Absolutely. walk, and I'm sure a lot of people will be joining you. If I'm in town, I'll definitely try to track you down, Paul. So, again, I thank you so much for the great work you're doing in this field. And, yeah, thanks again for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It means a lot. Thanks. Awesome. Well, you take good care, and thank you so much, everyone, for taking the time to join us this evening. Take good care, keep talking, and yes, be well.